Your next number is from your new album, Turnstiles. Which one is it? Uh, New York State of Mind. It's for New York City. New York gets dumped on a lot. So they get it That's new. right. Not too many people say nice things about New York. It's the most exciting city in the world. I mean, well, it's electric. I just tell people, you know, what, sometimes when we announce the song, we say, uh, you know, we're going to do a song about New York, and you hear, boo, or yay. I tell people, look, you may not like New York, but you got to understand, if New York goes down the tubes, all those New Yorkers are going to move out there. <laughs> we can do a little New York state of mind. Here is Billy Joel. Okay? Hi, I'm Alan Altman. And I'm Dave Juskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. Some folks like to get away, take a holiday from the neighborhood. Hop a flight to Miami Beach or to Hollywood. But I'm taking a Greyhound on the Hudson River line. I'm in a New York state of mind. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Billy Joel A to Z. Today, we begin the letter N, as in Nana Leone. (laughs) Whatever. And the hit, Keep Coming, as today's song, is what may define the term timeless classic. New York State of Mind. New York State of Mind is the fourth and final song off the first side of Billy's fourth studio album, Turnstiles, which was released on May 19, 1976. If you can believe it, the song was never released as a single, yet it, of course, appears on Greatest Hits Volume 1. As we've seen many flaws with this, uh, these Greatest Hits albums that don't seem to be hits or are hits and then aren't included. May, I, How about Billy Joel for uh, putting a non-single on that Greatest Hits Volume 1? Yeah, or not putting Modern Woman on which was number 10 and not on Greatest Hits, dare I say. One, two, or three. Just saying. Uh, this song also appears on 2000 Years, the Millennium Concert, ironically followed by I Love These Days, which is a song about California. Back to back. Isn't that mm-hmm. interesting? Or is it not interesting? 12 Gardens Live, it also appears on Live at Shea Stadium. That's with Tony Bennett. The film, Live at Yankee Stadium. And finally, a version from the September 11th television fundraiser, America, a tribute to heroes, appears on the My Lives compilation album. Now, I don't know if this is the most Billy Joel covered song ever or not, but it's been covered by, to name a minute few, Sir Elton John. Shirley Bassey, who you might know from Goldfinger, Bernadette Peters, Leslie West from Mountain, if you're a Howard Stern fan, Mel Torme, Frank Sinatra, Tony Bennett, obviously, and hilariously, Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem. <laughs> and also, Muppets. yeah, and also like 30 or 40 years later, Ralph the Dog. So if the Muppets 
are covering your song twice in one lifetime. It's a pretty, pretty good song, I guess. Also, as we've spoken about in earlier episodes, Barbara Streisand, uh, as soon as it came out in 1977, and Barbara Streisand and Billy Joel re-recorded this song as a duet for her album Partners in 2014. All right. Well, these could be the most exciting rankings of all time in doing this podcast. Let's figure out what Christopher Bonanos says about New York state of mind. Does it make it into the top 10 or is he being crazy? Christopher Bonanos, Alon, can you take a stab at where Christopher Bonanos puts this legendary timeless classic New York state of mind? Not only do I think he put this in the top 10, I'm going to go high in the top 10. I'm going to say this is number two. Well done. He puts it at number three. I will read what he says. Every era produces a couple of standards about New York City. And this one more than holds its own between Comden and Green on one end and Jay-Z and Alicia Keys on the other. Sinatra could have recorded it. Tony Bennett did. Many others will. Impeccable. Spot on. Glenn Gamboa from his 2017 Newsday edition makes this. Drum roll, please. Number one. Nice. Good job, Glenn. Number one. Someday, he says, and we don't usually read his blurbs, but you have to. This is his number one Billy Joel song. Someday, New York State of Mind will be Joel's most famous song. For decades, it was the timeless love letter to the city one written from that unique point of view of someone who has left and returned. I know what I'm needing, he sings, over a piano melody as memorable as Ray Charles singing about Georgia. And I don't want to waste more time. However, after the 9-11 terrorist attacks, it took on a whole new meaning. It captured what had been lost and chronicled what remained. It was also defiant. Someday it will likely be called on to represent something else because the greatest songs reflect the changing beliefs of its listeners. Someday it will be associated with other singers who will follow in the footsteps of Barbara Streisand, Tony Bennett, and Dame Shirley Bassey. But for now, no other Joel song means more. I agree hundred percent. Yeah. And that is the song we are choosing to speak about today. New York state of mind an absolute Billy Joel classic. I mean, obviously, uh, we're not going to say anything negative about this song. It's uh, it's a winner in every way. And I didn't realize until I was listening to it now again that it is clearly a, a form of tribute to Ray Charles's Georgia. I didn't I'd never figured it out. I don't know why. Yeah, I mean, it obviously is. I mean, it even has mind in the title. Georgia on my mind, New York state of mind. So Billy's not hiding it in this case. He, he loves Ray Charles, he sings kind of like Ray Charles on this. Got a similar melody, um, but this song's better. Yep. He always said that he wanted Ray Charles to record it, but Ray never did. Yeah, well, he hated Ray Charles. He was very angry at him. Because of that, he was so mad, he wrote Baby Grand for Ray Charles. Exactly. <laughs> I'm going to write this piece of crap least. instead. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, it's funny, too, that he, it's not a song about New York City or Long Island. He included the entire state, which if you don't live here like Alan and I do, 
you don't realize sometimes that Buffalo or there's other portions of New York, you know, a lot of times when we uh, talk about New York City football teams, we forget that Buffalo is included in New York State, which ironically, Buffalo Bills are the only team that actually plays in New York State. But we do forget about there's more to New York City. There's a whole nother thing that people like Elon and I forget about because we live in New York City and we're in our own bubble. Right. He said he specifically said this song is about New York State, not New York City. That's why state is in the title, because he's kind of doing a portmanteau of New York State and state of mind, which is kind of corny when you think about it. But what's interesting is, although it's about New York State, he mentions Chinatown and Riverside, which are places in Manhattan, and really doesn't mention anything about the state in terms of places besides like traveling on the Hudson River line. So, yeah, it's about the whole state, but he never mentions Buffalo or Syracuse or any of these other places. Well, those places are disgusting. So I get that. But um, it is funny. It just gives you when he's just talking about the Hudson River line. And then all of a sudden you instantly get the feel for the rest of the state. Just talking about the Greyhound on the Hudson River line, which, by the way, is how the song came to form. He was taking a Greyhound on the Hudson River line and then came up with the idea. Yeah, while he was riding on this bus, because he told his wife, Elizabeth, he wanted to get a house outside of the city, like up in the Hudson Valley, because it was so pretty when they would move back to New York. So she rented some house in Highland Falls. And then after his tour, he was taking a Greyhound bus up to that house and thought of this song. And the second he got to the house, he said, is there a piano here? And she said, yeah. And he went upstairs and wrote this song in just a matter of minutes. Wait, wait, wait a minute. What do you mean he asked if there was a piano? He had never been to the house? No, she rented it while he was on tour, and then he went to the house after flying back into New York. But she almost rented a house without a piano while she's well, married it, to Billy Joel <laughs> that he had to ask, is there a piano there? Well, she was such a shrewd manager. I'm sure she was like, yeah, of course there's a piano, and you better be recording right now. Yeah, Start writing songs, buddy. It'd be kind of funny to rent a house without a piano, and certainly they didn't have just keyboards you could bring with you back then. Uh, if you're married to Billy Joel, you'd be a fucking moron. <laughs> yeah, she's like, I never thought of that. That's a good point. Like, why didn't I think of getting a house with a piano? <laughs> oh, that would have been weird. Oh, that's so cool. I guess this was during a time when their marriage was actually in pretty good shape. They seemed to be pretty happy during this time briefly. Yeah. Did you see, obviously you did see the, the, the we love our, this. it's a British show, the old gray whistle test where we're seeing all these old things, right? I don't think I watched the old gray whistle, whistle test version of this. Oh, but it's a British uh, television show, right? Yeah. The 70s? yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's a, uh, we talk about it all the time. Sometimes we forget to say what it is. You know, the, the old gray whistle test was an old British television show. It was, I guess, very prominent because a lot of people played on it. Kind of like mm -hmm. the midnight special and uh, that we do, have talked about where uh, Dennis Blair was on and stuff like that. So they have one in Britain where all these people played and did their songs because it was hard to, they didn't they just didn't have a lot of places to play back then. So it was great to see your heroes live on, you know, doing a live performance on TV. This one was fascinating because he talks a lot before and he starts smoking, which, of course, drives me crazy. But he says he's smoking because he's trying to which I think he's done on a couple of other things that there are where he was trying to get the atmosphere going. So he lights up the cigarette. I yeah. think there might be a Long Island one that he did that too, because he didn't know that there was going to be 2022 where you can see him doing the same bit, uh, you know, from overseas. Yeah. <laughs> he never thought anybody would know the difference that he was doing the same thing. 
he does the same thing in the Capitol Theater 1976 performance where he says, like, this song I'm going to do, it's not a rock and roll song. It's something you might hear on a jukebox in an Italian restaurant. And then he does the thing with the cigarette smoke. And he says, like, let's make this place real grimy. Let's get the lights down. Let's make it feel real grimy and gross. So that's what he does on this television show. And what, when you watch him play the piano, he, it's, it's a totally different opening than it is in the album. You, when you're watching this, if you watch this old gray whistle test performance of New York State of Mind, you remember, or even though how could we forget how, what a talented musician he is. I know we already know, but when you're watching him play and doing the opening of this song, boy, it's something to see. I know we know, but then when you're seeing it and you're seeing him mix it up of the way mm-hmm. we know the song to be, it's really something else. It's just something to watch. We've got to create a little um, atmosphere for the next songs. Make it like a, a sleazy jazz club. We, it's kind of a low-budget thing. We don't have smoke machines and everything. <laughs> Brought along a little one. Gives the place a little sleaze to it. That's what's so great about this song. It's a jazz song. So Billy really improvises a lot, especially in the early versions of this. I think now when you see him live, he sticks to the script. But those recordings from like 76, 77, he he really shows off his piano chops as a jazz pianist. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. I guess that's what I was trying to say. You just said it. He shows off his chops as a jazz pianist in this video, this TV special. It's really something else. He's not even trying to show off it's just i think it's just the way he plays at home yeah and it's like other songs he's shown off his like the speed he could play or his classical chops but it's nice to see him show what kind of jazz stuff he can do and it's cool because this is like his best jazz song but from turnstiles so then 52nd street his jazz album has nothing that's as jazzy as this yeah i was just about to say it also shows you the complete versatility of turnstiles and really why Billy Joel fans like like us, like I, I, I think we've found the consensus of in all our interviews that Turnstiles is the fan favorite. Yeah, I mean, just look at the rankings. Look, at some of the greatest songs are on this album, which was a total bomb, which still is so inexplicable. But yeah, the variety is amazing from like reggae and all, all you want to do is dance to jazz in this song, to the hard rock of uh, Angry Young Man and Miami 2017. Just I still so can't believe variety. that this song is, is number one. We got to our number one for one of our rankings. Uh, for one of them, rankings. yeah. yeah. I, did you, you didn't say what the fan ranking was. Did you have that? On oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yes, you're right. I didn't. And the fans rank it at six. 
Interesting. All right. Maybe you know what it is? Like a lot of the fans aren't New York kind of people, but Bananos and Gamboa are. Exactly. So maybe- we are exactly where the these rankings were from New York Magazine and Newsday, which is a Long Island newspaper. So good point. The fans get it, how important it is. But right. Yeah, I, I could see not ranking this at one, two or three. I, I could see actually ranking this maybe even lower. It's not as important to me for some reason as some of the other stuff. Yeah, I, I honestly didn't think until today where I would put it. And I really thought it could be number one or number two for me personally, because it's just so important and so timeless. And maybe he has other songs that I like to listen to more. But when you think of his whole career, like what song could better encapsulate it than New York State of Mind? And like those guys were saying, like it's going to live on forever, not as yeah. a Billy Joel song. I mean, this is a song, sometimes I'll be hearing it and I won't even remember that it's Billy Joel. It's just, it just transcends the artist completely. He, this is a real showcase of him as a songwriter, which is why he was so excited when Barbara Streisand covered it when he was still a nobody, basically. Like she covered this before The Stranger came out, right yep. after Turnstiles came out. Yep. So she found this song and, and could tell right away this is a classic. Yeah, she found the song and so, or somebody probably found it for her and said, here's something that would be perfect for you. And she's probably like, well, who who wrote this? Hey, that guy that did the, the Piano Man song, you know, with the, the, the you know, the, the singer around the bar. <laughs> she probably yeah. didn't know. You know yeah, like, she's like, whatever happened to that guy? I thought he died. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's the snake Pliskin of the music industry. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know why I said nobody <laughs> knows that reference. but um, so <laughs> Didn't expect to get that reference in this song. But it's Escape from New York State of Mind. Uh, that's, a good, <laughs> that's a good mashup. That's what we want to see. You're Snake Pliskin, ain't you? I thought you were dead. Thank you. But yeah, I mean, how about that? That You're, you're right. We have sometimes, I, mean, I know we've discussed it multiple times, but Barbara Streisand covering this on, a, on, a, on an album Clunker, which we still can't put our you know, mind around uh, that turnstiles just sucked for some reason. And uh, yeah, her taking that album, uh, he, I believe he says how important it was for her to cover this song for so many different reasons. Her covering this song on an album like that might have gotten him the deal for the stranger. Uh, Who knows? Knowing that she was going to cover, obviously the album came out while the stranger was out, you know, but she recorded it before that. So who knows how it was important? And I don't know if it's on the same label. It might be. Who knows how important it was for somebody like Barbara Streisand's caliber to cover a song like this might have helped him ink a deal. We know the agency wasn't very high on him with turnstiles. Yeah, it definitely legitimized him. He says also for his mom, this was really important because all of a sudden it it was like, oh, my stupid son actually got his song covered by a real musician. Excellent. That's hilarious, but that makes so much sense. Also, I was thinking, I think the addition of Phil Ramone helped him seal a deal with the, you know, with the studio. I think I I feel like that's a story too, but I'm not positive. Yeah. Like, okay. He's going to be working with someone who like has experience and and knows what he's doing. It's just so crazy when we again, wrap our heads around the fact that there was a question like, well, should we give this guy another chance? You know, and then he comes up with a stranger. It's just so, it's so great. It's just such a great story. Yeah. And it's also so amazing that you think of how amazing Turnstiles is and that this is before Phil Ramone. Like, yeah, that's what I'm I saying. wonder what this album would be like if it was a Phil Ramone album. Like, could it have been even better or would he have completely changed it? 
This is an excellent question. And I guess, I mean, that that's the thing. I don't know whether it would be the fan favorite then. I think there's something to it being lost in the shuffle, the album itself, of what makes it so fun to be uh, a fan and not like, you know, the classics, but like an album that nobody liked. Yeah, it's kind of the best of both worlds because it's an album that nobody liked, but it also has all of his classic songs on it. So Everything it's not like you're heard, saying yeah. that you love Cold Spring Harbor and everyone's like, what the hell is that? It's like, right. oh, have you ever heard of Say Goodbye to Hollywood and New York State of Mind? Like they're all on this one album that Young no one man. listened to. Yeah. And me just rediscovering James or discovering. Yeah. And James, <laughs> which was the single instead of this song. So weird. So weird. It's very strange. They didn't release any singles. And then this song is a timeless classic. And again, the way Glenn Gamboa puts it, that, you know, there's going to be another incident, not maybe not a 9-11. Maybe there'll be a worldwide pandemic that only took place in New York State and it'll take on another meaning. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of foreboding the way Glenn Gamboa said that, like something else will happen to New York, perhaps in 2037. Wink, wink. He's right. I mean, just like, you know, again, you have the terrorist attacks, right? And you're like, well, that's got to be the end all. And then there's a worldwide <laughs> pandemic and you're like, oh, <laughs> and, and Hurricane Sandy in between that. Right, right, right. So, yeah, there's there's always something no one's prepared for. Right. There's always going to be a benefit concert where Billy Joel can come out and play this song and make everyone feel happy. Well, maybe uh, it'll be something. I don't know what would be the reasoning, but I hope Billy Joel's going to go. Billy Joel will heal the nation by playing. We didn't start the fire. Yeah. <laughs> well, we don't know why yet. <laughs> it's like um when i keep thinking about when joe dimaggio died and they brought out paul simon to sing mrs robinson in center field of yankee stadium that day when they were doing a you know tribute before the game and then you say to yourself why what is i mean we know that the name joe dimaggio and it's a wonderful song and it's put there properly but the song you know it doesn't make any sense it's not about joe dimaggio it's just a, a message in the song so and and he hated that song he didn't understand what the point that simon and garfunkel were making he thought they were making fun of him so right, that's what i've right. heard he hated when he heard what the lurk was he was like what the fuck are these guys yeah doing? he was angry right right so it, it would i'm trying to think of what's in we didn't start the fire and who might die uh well when the cola wars die down or, yeah pepsi uh, goes out of business yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna we need billy now to sing we didn't start the fire more than ever <laughs> and now we know and i guess i'm saying it in the sense of the the people we've interviewed again who just really hate that song and where they lost their billy joel uh fun with that song even though uh, as we will find out i feel differently yes we will find that out in a few months that'll be exciting yeah maybe a year or so it seems <laughs> as we come on to our one-year anniversary yeah coming up that's amazing yeah. and we still have so many more songs to go so many more. Uh, also, I assume you saw, speaking of New York State of Mind, the because since we both seem to watch the same thing, the Vanderbilt University uh, question and answer thing. No. What, what did they say? So he it's again, you know, Billy Joel has so many of these. I mean, it's like you don't even realize how many colleges he's gone to that aren't on Long Island uh, where he just <laughs> loves. He loves talking about his music. It's amazing. It's like kind of a dream that you wish Woody Allen would do the same or somebody else that is a little bit more refined um, or reform or what, what would you call it? Somebody is a little afraid to come out of their shell and talk about it. Um, reclusive. Reclusive. That's the word I was looking for. Thank you. My uh, Ivy League friend. 
this kid, uh, he's at Vanderbilt and he's talking about the song and this kid comes up and he says, yeah, I was wondering if I could uh, play with you. He's like, I love New York State of mind. Would you mind if I come up and accompany you? And, and you know, it was, and he's like, boy, that's a ballsy move. And the kid comes up and he goes, what key do you want to do? He goes, what? And the kid says, whatever. And the crowd goes, Ooh. <laughs> I know <laughs> like all the keys. A throwdown. Yeah, yeah. And the kid comes up and he and he and he does the jazzy version kind of showing off, but it's impressive because he can do it. It's not it, it. It's an obvious that the kid's not there yet. And he's showing off a little and Billy Joel's so much more accomplished. It's very obvious, but the kid does a good job and Billy's clearly impressed. It's a fun video to watch. Yeah, that's cool. I'm sure the kid was kind of hoping that Billy would be like, come on tour with me. Oh, yeah, you're amazing. Sure. Date my daughter. Well, he even says, hey, remember this kid's name? I've already forgotten it. So, <laughs> And that child was Ben Folds. <laughs> exactly. He says, remember the kid's name? He's going to be all right. He was very impressed. He was very impressed. Did you see the Mike Douglas show version? Yeah. Did I see the Mike Douglas show? Of course I saw the Mike I Douglas show version. I can't. I, I think I might have seen that Mike Douglas show version when it was first on. You know how much I worship the fucking Mike Douglas version of his song. Mike Douglas sitting there like a lump doesn't understand the greatness of who he has there. And he's, you know, I mean, it's like a, it's a, he's promoting turns. He's got the album in his hand and he's, he just doesn't get, what are you going to play now? It's called New York state of mind. It's called what? You know, this guy just, it's so fascinating. Again, I know we talked about it and I don't, I think it was angry young man. I mean, so long ago, Mm -hmm. my obsession with Mike Douglas and, you know, to try and explain to you people, how popular he was and you just can't figure it out. He's so dull and boring. And he had these, you know, John Lennon on once a week. This is how popular the show was. And he just never understood the greatness of these people he had on. It wasn't like Dick Cavett who totally understood, you know, Dick Cavett talking to George Harrison about his music. This guy gets it. But Mike Douglas never understood and he's just sitting there and Billy Joel is playing Angry Young Man in New York State of Mind off his new album. And he never does TV. You know, the only other TV he did is in Europe. And he and he's but he has to do Mike Douglas out of Philadelphia, a daytime talk show. I don't think Billy Joel ever went on the late night shows here. Yeah, not till the 80s, I don't think. But, right. And he's performing this classic song. Uh, you know, in this Philadelphia daytime audience, be like doing the show on Ellen or something. But at least Ellen, you know, I don't care for her, but she has personality. And you understand why she has a show. This you cannot figure out for the life of you how this guy ever got a show. This guy yeah. is the most boring man in human history. And again, I mean, Ed's, we've talked about it again. Ed Sullivan had no personality, but that was the joke. How this could happen again in a lifetime, I can't figure out. Well, anyway, he seemed pretty impressed with Billy, though. And uh, before he introduced New York State of Mind, you know, Billy told some funny joke, that whole thing. Like, you know, people didn't care about New York, but I was like, well, if New York goes away, all the New Yorkers are going to move out to you guys. And then Mike is like, Mike laughs at that and he says, well, I saw in rehearsals, it seems like you want to do stand up. And well, then Billy Danny says, Thomas was there. He was talking oh, okay. to Danny Thomas, the legendary uh, comic who became a, a very big TV show that, you know, we don't remember. It was a little too early. And uh, he was and that's um, Mar for you young kids. Uh, that's Marlo Thomas's dad. And you might know Marlo <laughs> Thomas 
as Jennifer Aniston's mother on Friends. You're there welcome. you go. Tied it all together. <laughs> yes, I did. Well, when he said when he tells Billy that he, he should do stand up or that it looks like he wants to do stand up, Billy says, I do that during my live shows, which is true, because as we've seen many times, Billy Joel will go off on these tangents in between songs and, and tell some really funny jokes. And actually, that um, that live performance from the Capitol Theater in 1976 is it's the full videos on YouTube. And there's a certain section where for nine minutes straight. I think right before The Entertainer, Billy Joel just does stand-up comedy. And before he does this song, he also talks for a while and is pretty funny. And while he's talking, before he does this song, some girl screams out, I love you. And then some other girl screams out, I love you too. And then also says something that sounds like, I love your podcast. What? Now, I know that's not what she said because <laughs> podcasts did not exist for another 30 years. But I swear, man, it's like years. she's talking to us from the past. <laughs> That's really funny. Oh my God. <laughs> I love your podcast. Wouldn't that be funny if Mike Douglas, you know, guy is totally just confused and stupid, was just like, a podcast? That sounds interesting. I should get on board with that. Yeah. Or he just knows. <laughs> he's like, you know, in the future, there'll be little pocket yeah, computers yeah, exactly. where people will listen to people talking. Yeah, he, this guy doesn't even remember when we played the Star Wars clip. He goes, and then there's somebody called R2D4. I don't know what the and hell. His friend, but, a Wookiee. Right, right. A Wookiee. But he knows, but he knows podcasts are going to be big. he's bailed pop culture great with technology did you did you hear about the difference in the versions of this song from the original turnstiles to the greatest hits version which apparently phil ramone sort of remastered and took out richie canada's saxophone solo and had someone else he had someone else play the sax solo on the version that most of us know the best wait 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 first of all i thought that was a myth that that's the case. Or the something. myth is that it was Phil Woods. It was not Phil Woods. It was oh, somebody else. Oh, the guy else. who did uh, what? What was the? He one did that? the "Just the Way You Are" solo. Just the way you are, right? Right. Um, wait a second. Why was Phil remote? Why did he take this and remaster it? What was his reasoning? If he had nothing to do with this album, honestly. I mean, I, I've only heard really the remastered version. When I went back and heard the original from Turnstiles, I think Richie Kanata's solo just wasn't quite up to par with what they ended up putting in there. I think that what they put in actually did improve the song. It oh. doesn't really just follow along with the melody like Richie's does. It has like really nice high notes. It kind of is more improvisational. Richie's was kind of more standard and maybe they listened to it and said it doesn't quite fit what we want this song to be. So did they do this for Greatest Hits 1 and 2? Is that why? Yeah, so for the Greatest Hits release, they okay. they took it out, which I'm, I mean, I know Richie was annoyed about the just the way you are situation bringing in another guy but this must have been even worse yeah to be like i was recorded on this song and you took me out of it so wait uh on greatest hits one and two does it say that this version is altered like when you buy the cd back in the day that's a good question i don't know but it's interesting to listen to both versions and you'll hear like there's a very well you know again if you listen to that old gray whistle there's an even bigger sax solo on that one and maybe it is richie doing it but they really, they embellished the sax. Like you said, they just really made it jazzy. Yeah, that's what I like about those early versions. Again, like not just Billy improv- improv- improvising, not just Billy improvising more on the piano, but also they would he would let Richie do much longer sax solos, not just in the main solo section, but also like right before he finishes the song and says New York State of Mind for that last time. Like there's one version where Richie just goes off for like another minute. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I feel a little bad for him, though, but uh, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) Got to have the best of the best. Hey, uh, what's his story with playing this live? 
Oh, yeah. Let's see. Uh, this was the 12th most played song. Uh, that makes sense. He's played it 529 times. Again, what's interesting about this one, like we also saw with Moving Out, is that he took it out of the playlist for a while. In this case, he took it out from the Glass Houses tour all the way through the Bridge tour. So basically from 1980 until 1989 or 1990, it was very rarely played. Yeah, and it would make sense that he's played it a lot more since he has a residency at Madison Square Garden. He probably doesn't play it when he's on the road. There's probably no reason to. That's no, he does. And at this point, it's so well known that it is like an every single show song. And it's been that way for the last 20 or 30 years. It's just that for some really? reason, I mean, if I was 80s, in Boston, I don't know whether I'd play it. They, it, even, it even transcends the New York-Boston hatred. But, but why play it there? Because people want to hear it. It's that good of a song. Do they? I don't know. Yeah, they just don't want to see Derek Jeter singing it. Right. (laughs) I would. Well, Dave, it's time for the trivia portion of the show. Do you have a stumper for me? Yeah, I got something. It's about the Mike Douglas show, of course. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Billy Joel was on the Mike Douglas show singing this uh, song and promoting turnstiles, which, of course, is always going to be hilarious. Uh, one of the other guests that day that was standing with Danny Thomas was Petula Clark. Petula Clark. Why can't I pronounce her name? Petula. P- Petula Clark. I really am Porky Pig. And I isn't it Petula Pig? That's the woman in it like, that I can't Is that his girl pig? I think it is. I don't know. Uh, anyway, the other girl was Petula Clark, who was nominated for a Grammy for Best Female Vocalist three times, but kept losing out to the first person that figured out that New York State of Mind might be the shit. Who is that? So person? the question is, who is that person? Barbara Streisand. That's right. That is the exact correct <laughs> answer. Here's another one for you. Petula Clark was nominated for her song Downtown and lost to Barbara, as usual which isn't a bad thing. Billy Joel was nominated in 1984 for his song Uptown Girl (laughs) and lost to who? Uptown parentheses girl. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So in 1984, Uptown Girl lost. This is for best song or best. uh, Uh, I believe best best male vocal male vocal. Did he lose that to Michael Jackson? He did. For no, no, he lost out to Michael Jackson. Right. Oh, I was trying to guess what song. Oh, uh, Billy well, I think Jean it's for the album. I think you uh, get the whole album. Okay. Yeah, I think you get nominated for the album. Maybe, well, maybe you're right. I don't know. It's probably Billy Jean. There's probably one for album, one for song. They, they yeah, I don't know how it works, works, but right. You're but you're saying she was nominated for a song downtown. So I don't know. I'll have to check that out. But it was Michael Jackson. Hey, listen, if you're going to lose to Barbara Streisand and Michael Jackson, you're still doing all right. Yeah, that second you know, place trophy is fine. Again, you, you, if you lose to Christopher Cross, you feel like an asshole because that guy's never heard of again. Well, in the moment, you're like, well, he deserves it. He's going to be one of our greats. And in then the five moment, years later, you're exactly. like, exactly. <laughs> right. All right. Do you have one for me? Yes. Uh, this one might be interesting. Two notable songs, one by Credence Clearwater Revival and one by Simon and Garfunkel, have lyrics about Greyhound buses. Both of them with a connection to the state of New Jersey. Oh. Now I'll give you some more hints. The CCR one shares a name with a town in New Jersey. And the Simon and Garfunkel one mentions a highway in New Jersey. What songs are these that have Greyhound in the lyrics? 
So the CCR one is A Town in New Jersey. That's the title of the song. I couldn't for the life of me figure out that CCR one. Okay, so the CCR one is the song Lodi. Oh, God. I would never it's not about that. Lodi, New Jersey, but it's about a town oh, in California. It's not, named Lodi. Oh, okay. Well, that's where you got me fooled. All right. Well, <laughs> you can't blame me for not getting that one. Okay. So then the Simon and Garfunkel one, again, it meant this, the lyrics mention a highway in New Jersey. Well, I'm assuming it's either the New Jersey Turnpike or the Garden State Parkway. It's the New Jersey Turnpike. Oh, okay. Oh, so I got to guess, guess the song. Guess the song. Sound of Silence? <laughs> No, the lyric that mentions the turnpike is called is counting the cars on the New Jersey turnpike. And the Greyhound lyric is boarded a Greyhound in Pittsburgh. I don't know. America. Oh, yeah. I'm trying to picture it in my head. The song. Right. I, I can. I. Yeah, I would never. I don't think I know the lyrics, but um, it's a classic. It's, a, it's like New York State of Mind, a, a very often covered kind of standard song now. Yeah, yeah. Well, that trivia was brought to you by Greyhound Buses, our new sponsors. Take Greyhound if you like to sit in urine. <laughs> yeah, it is. God, you ever go to the Greyhound like bus terminal in Ithaca? Yeah. Then that's where I picture sitting in urine. <laughs> that's, well, or on the other side, when you take it to the Port Authority, <laughs> that's right. even Oy. worse. Oi, for that. Oy. And I used to take it to Atlantic City a lot. That is just a sad Greyhound bus experience. Yeah. Gross. I guess it's time for the weird Alon parody of New York State of Mind. This ought to be interesting. What do you have for us today? This one's a long one. All right. <laughs> New York Scone of Mind. I definitely was like, <laughs> I'm going to go scone with this. I'm just going to burn this song to the ground. <laughs> No, uh, my parody of New York State of Mind is called COVID Testing Line. <laughs> okay. All right. Made me laugh. So that's one thing. <laughs> then I'm not going to sing it. I'm going to quit while I'm ahead. Uh, yeah, Title was that. enough. All right. Some folks like to get away, take a holiday somewhere out of town. Hop a flight while they're coughing and their mask is down. So now I'm suspicious. My throat doesn't feel too fine. I'm in a COVID testing line. There's tourists drinking at the bars and in subway cars breaking quarantine. Asking for directions way too close to me. So I know what I'm needing, and it'll take three hours time. I'm in a COVID testing line. It would be so easy with an at-home test. Get results in a minute or two. But instead, I'm stuck here in this line. Results will come when I'm 62. Oh, oh. This line felt like eternity, but now finally I am getting close. I'm ready for Q-tips shoved inside my nose. But then one of the nurses 
hangs up a little sign. We're closed till tomorrow at nine. Hey, now. I, uh, I disagree with that last line. I think it should have, you just should have repeated COVID closing line or COVID. What is the name of the song? COVID testing line. COVID testing line. It should have been repeated at the end instead of the closing at nine. It was a twist ending where now he yeah. has to wait tomorrow. Yeah, I get it. I, you know, it's just, I, I think it would have been better. Meanwhile, was the second verse necessary? Uh, what, what is <laughs> yes. that, about a 10 minute parody? <laughs> I wanted to do a four minute parody, damn it. <laughs> well, I like the fact that it's relevant and topical. This is different than a lot of stuff where we do Mario Brothers or Pee Wee's Big Adventure or The Simpsons. So <laughs> this first top, the first politically topical parody in uh, Billy Joel A to Z history. And because the pandemic will never go away, this will still be topical 10 years from now. Yeah, unfortunately, that'll be the case. But um, there it is. COVID testing line instead of New York state of mind. state of mind if you like our podcast be sure to go to apple and give us five stars we release new episodes every tuesday and thursday so make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss a single song follow us on social media at billy joel a to z and give us some feedback do you think they made the right choice taking out richie Kanata's sax solo have you ever been on a greyhound bus who else would be exciting to hear cover this song or duet with billy do you agree that this might be the number one billy joel song and have you been stuck in a long COVID testing line? I know I have. Until next time, I'm Alon Altman. I'm Dave Juskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. Billy, let's go get some pizza. How about some Chinese? Oh, even better. I'm in I'm in a New York State of